For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Football won't be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for your sports betting needs. Head over to the website and use your mobile devices to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use promo code Believe. that's B-L-E-A-V, to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. Right to the Olympic coverage, it's the best in the business. From sports, right down to your ve- your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to Eagles Unfiltered. E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! This podcast is powered by Eagle Maven of Sports Illustrated. Third down and one. Hurts, beefing, first down, and a touchdown. Here are your hosts, Ed Kraz and Connor Miles. All right, welcome back to another episode of Eagles Unfiltered, powered by BetOnline.ag. That's BetOnline.ag. We are part of the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Connor Miles. With me is my new co-host, Rashard Cook. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about the safety position because we all know that is probably the weakest, talent-wise, the weakest group on the Eagles roster right now is the safety group. They're going to be adding to that position group, whether it's going to be another veteran free agent or and or Going into the NFL draft, this 2022 class with some intriguing names uh, will be added to this Philadelphia defensive backfield. We can assume, but I'm gonna. I wanted to talk to Rashard real quick because Rashard, the evolution of the safety position is insane to me. You know, you and I were talking off air about what Jim Johnson was looking for back in the days—the big safety guys, like the big six-two, uh, over two hundred type pounds type of. You know, Brian Dawkins, Michael Lewis, yourself. Uh, that is really. I don't want to say that's not what the NFL is doing anymore because there is some safeties of that caliber and that size, but uh, it, it is, there's so much more to the position. You're asked to cover the slot. You're asked to play in the box, tackle well, cover, give some uh, help over the top to corners. It's so much more of the demanding of the safety position. It's weird how it's, it seems to be devalued. Uh, you know, Marcus Williams just signed this new contract with the Ravens for $70 million, and that was he's like one of the highest-paid safeties now. And you look at some quarterbacks are making – you know, fifty million more than that. Uh, it's, right. just, it's 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 crazy to me how the it's devaluing the position. Yet you're asking so much of it at the same time. And in this Eagles defense with Jonathan Gannon, they need way more than what Rodney McLeod and Anthony Harris gave them last year. Uh, Rashard, let's just talk about the evolution of the position, though. Like it, it's insane to me how much it's grown and blossomed over time. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think you hit the nail right on the head. It is a position that has been undervalued. 
until you have a guy in that role and then you realize how good it can make the defense. Um, so I think that's always been an issue with the safety position. There's not much money there. You look at where it is defensively. People are paying the edge rusher, interior lineman, you know, the premier shutdown corners and, um, you know, middle, middle backer, inside backer who's a run stopper, you know, three down linebacker. He's going to get paid. But the safety is kind of overlooked. I mean, unless you do something really special. And now you're kind of see more guys who play around the line of scrimmage versus the guy who plays in coverage and get the interceptions where you really don't have that guy who's doing it all. Um, so I think that's the unique part of the position is understanding what you're actually looking for. And I think it's, it's really hard to find that guy because it's such a unique position where, you know, you're coming up, stopping the run uh, first and second down, third down, you're back playing coverage. I mean, so it's a lot been asked for that position and, and it's a dependent position. So mm -hmm. as a safety, the last thing I want to do is be out there playing cover four with the number two receiver running vertical and, you know, no threat of a pass rush. And the quarterback is sitting back there taking his time and now getting beat deep. So even as a good safety, it's very, very hard to play without a pass rush. So it's very dependent. So it's, it's hard to see truly what, what's going on in the secondary sometimes. You know, you see guys get beat and maybe it was the pass rush. Maybe, you know, the linebacker didn't reroute number two when he's running up the seam and give him a free release or the corner, you know, or maybe the corner jumps on something and you're, you know, trying to protect him. So you get over the top, but it looked like you get beat. So it's very hard to tell without knowing, you know, all the calls, all the coverages. But I know definitely uh, it, it's a tough position and it, it's, it's hard to get it right. That's why you see a lot of turnover. You know, even when it came time for Brian Dawkins to be brought back to the team and they, you know, he ended up going to Denver, the team went in separate ways. Uh, they went through a long period of time of struggling to replace him and his presence. They're kind of seeing something similar now with Malcolm Jenkins. Since Malcolm Jenkins has left Philadelphia's, they tried with Jalen Mills, didn't work. They're trying with Anthony Harris. They're going to go it again year two with Anthony Harris. But again, he's a, a replacement level player. Roddy McLeod is a solid starter, but I He's, you know, he's coming off of two major knee injuries. He's still one year removed from that. Uh, 32 years old, still free agent. Eagles don't look like they're going to bring him back right now, as it seems. Well, I mean, it's still the, still young in the offseason, but right now it doesn't seem that way. Uh, it, it's weird to me that this team devalues the position or at least doesn't take the position seriously because, you know, Malcolm is – he's not the same player anymore, but he's still thriving in New Orleans. He's still a huge integral part of that defense. Uh the Eagles could use that, especially with the transition to this Jonathan Gannon system. Uh, is that, I don't know, I don't, for just from your experience, I'm just talking from your experience, because Jeffrey Lurie owned the team at the same time while you're with him. Is that something you always felt by that team? Like, wow, like, you know, we have so much talent in this room. Uh, why does it seem like they're not taking care of these guys? I just think it's just the, the culture of the NFL. I think you, the trend is already set, right? You pay the quarterbacks. You pay your franchise quarterbacks. I know during my time, uh, the biggest thing was locking up guys early. So if you did well, I mean, it, they took care of Mike Lewis. They took care of uh, Quentin Michael, guys who, who performed well and they were young. But um, was that the system, right? Were they thriving in the system that Jim Johnson laid out? Would they have went somewhere else and did the same thing in those first few years? So I think it's a combination of the position itself uh, coming in. You're the quarterback of the defense. You, along with the middle linebacker, you're probably calling out the coverages, making the changes, the checks, understanding the route recognition, the formations, 
down and distance tendencies, all those different things for a young guy to come in and do that is very tough. So you got to have you got to have a veteran coaching staff that's teaching that that's, you know, uh, making sure these guys are prepared. I mean, that's the biggest thing is going into a game, understanding what the, how the offense is trying to attack, understanding what your role is, understanding, you know, what the corner is doing in all the situations, also where your, your fit is in the run. So, I mean, all those things going on in your head, every single snap, you're paying 60, 70 snaps a game. Something's bound to happen. Or what ends up happening is, which we talked about before, is you start seeing a secondary play very – uh, passive, right? I don't want to give up the big play. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, you know, get up too close to the line of scrimmage or disguise my coverage and be out of position. So I think year two, you might see some change in that. But from a personnel standpoint, it's very hard to see what you have when, when people are not playing at, at, at that fast level, um, you know, without a pass rush, without a lot of different things. So it's, it's difficult. That's what I was going to say. Uh, it's a key point that you pointed out is, you know, the Eagles have always been a team, an organization. The philosophy is to invest, invest in the trenches. That's been, I think, a huge thing since Jeffrey Lurie's early ownership to the Andy Reid era really has established that philosophy. Um, so it's interesting to say the pass rush is probably why they le- are so leaning on the safety position because they put so much resource into those guys. I just think that's a mistake, though. Uh, for this team to think that way with how they performed last year, they they were 31st in sacks last year. I know that they've added, you know, Hassan Reddick in the in the offseason and they're looking to improve the pass rush as the draft comes close. But I, I I'm I'm in the boat where you still need to have some talent back there. You know, at Malcolm Jenkins with this team thrived through their worst cornerback years Philadelphia's ever gone through. He still played up to par. Uh, it's talent. You just need the talent back there. Uh, I, I like Marcus Epps a lot. I think Marcus mm-hmm. Epps has a future for this team. He's very young. He's really good in run support, though. Very good against the run. I think that's an undervalued uh, aspect you want from your safety is to be good against the run, especially when you have such a defense, uh, excuse me, such a weakness at linebacker. Uh, to have right. a safety that's against the run is such a key element to his game. Uh, Marcus Epps is, a, is definitely a, a developing player. I think that the Eagles have a future in for sure. Uh, Kayvon Wallace, you know, very unproven. Uh, came from the ACC, though. You know, he comes from that pedigree in Clemson, coached by Brent Vables. You know, you, you, you really th- the Eagles thought they were going to have something here for sure. Uh, it hasn't come through yet, but uh, I'm not I'm not ready to throw in the white flag on Kayvon Wallace. But uh, with this draft coming up, and I don't know if you had in your eyes on anybody in particular, um, I, you know, Kirby Joseph, Jaquan Brisker from Penn State. Kyle Hamilton, I know, you know, Kyle mm-hmm. Hamilton is the prize of the possession. I'm sure you already know this. Right. But I, I don't, you know, you knowing the Eagles, me knowing the Eagles, a first-round safety doesn't really sound like something Philadelphia really does. I, I think second would be the highest they go. I mean, that's where they took Brian Dawkins in 96. Mm-hmm. But those are some guys like Jaquan Brisker, Kirby Joseph, um, Jalen uh, I don't want to mess up his last name too much, but Patrice, I think it is for right. Baylor. I like him a lot as well. Um, anybody caught your eye at all? I think all those guys you mentioned, but you start, you know, yeah, what Eagles have three first round draft picks, right? Mm-hmm. So just historically, we have not seen him go safety that early. Uh, I don't think you're going to see it again. No. But I think when you look at an NFL roster, there's 53 guys on the active roster, 45 suits up for each game. 
the goal is to just stack your roster at every single position with the best players available. I don't know if that's going to be the approach where the ego is going to say, you know what, we're just going to draft the best available player, regardless of position at each, each pick that we have, or if they're going to say, you know what, we need a safety. And then that's where you start seeing a reach. You start seeing a trade up to say, all right, this guy might be off the board pretty soon. So you start to see a reach. And I think once you start doing that, there's a lot of pressure on guys to come in and to perform. I think safety is one of those unique positions. I've seen tons of guys come in undrafted free agents that can make an impact in this game. Um, but it's all about being in the right system, um, being with the right defense, and being in the right spots most of the time. I mean, it, it's just one of those things that it's it's hard to explain. It's one of those where I'm looking for more of the intangibles than actual physical attributes, because there's tons of guys that have the physical attributes that can, you know, six, three, 200 pounds, jump out of the gym, you know, run in sub four, four forties, but they don't play that fast. They don't react that fast. They're not uh, mentally, you know, the game is not, is not slowed down to them yet. So I think the biggest thing is really evaluating what are you looking for in a safety and having a game plan to attack, I'm looking for a guy that can play the deep middle. I'm looking for a guy that could be the enforcer in the box, or I'm looking for a guy that could be our hybrid guy. Typically, NFL teams will keep nine secondary guys, either five safeties or or or, or five corners. One of those guys are going to play nickel, right? Do you want a bigger physical nickel that can blitz, that can cover? Um, so you know that that dictates what kind of safety you get. Maybe you're looking for a guy who was a converted corner. He can cover a little bit in the slot, um, go back and play in deep coverage, get off the hash, um, come down the alley and cover four and make some plays. So I think it's really identifying what it is you want in a defense, what you're looking for in a player, and then kind of narrowing it down to see who kind of falls into that funnel after, after it's all said and done, who checks the boxes. How, so back during your Eagles career, you know, you mentioned Quentin Michael, undrafted free agent ended up being successful for the Eagles and a great starter at that mm-hmm. too as well. Um Tim Hawk, mm-hmm. yourself, Brian Dawkins, Michael Lewis, uh Blaine Bishop, so on and so forth. There's so many names that we can name that ended up being successful safeties for this team, even if they were backups. Correct. You guys still had an impact one way on the defense or special teams or both. Um how Take us back to the coaching to that room. How will you? How is the Eagles and that coach, that defensive coach staff, were so? How are they able to be so successful to utilize you guys to your best talents? I think it starts from the top down. I think whoever was making the decisions on who they draft or who they bring in as free agents, um, they did it with a game plan in mind. I don't know if Jim Johnson is writing down his grocery list and saying, "Give me a guy that can do this or that," or Harbaugh, Harbaugh is saying, "Give me a guy that can play special teams." But if you look at that coaching room, um, starting in the secondary, you have um, Leslie Frazier, uh, who's now defense coordinator for the Bills. Steve Spagnuolo, he's with the Chiefs. You have Ron Rivera. I mean, so across the board, you had really good coaches. I think that played a part in it. But I also think it was the personnel, the selection of the actual personnel, guys that fit what they were looking for. Um, or if it didn't fit, one of the things that Jim Johnson would do is he would find packages for guys. So if I was better coming into the box playing nickel versus a team that, you know, would run the ball a little bit more, then you would plug me in. Um, you know, there was a lot of times I would come in on the backside corner for Bobby Taylor. 
as a better as a better tackler, more physical guy, I would come in and maybe blitz off the edge or in those two tight end sets where they have one receiver. It's just setting up the personnel to be, um, I think, for success. I think that's what it is, too. I'm not saying that this this regime of coaches are not doing that, but going back to where, you know, I was there, that's just what what I felt happened. And then as I stepped away and you look back at the game, you start going back. When guys left Philadelphia and they were put in different situations, they didn't perform as well. Um, a lot of guys went, you know, after in free agency. So I think one of the ones that I look at is like Jeremiah Trotter, for example. Jeremiah Trotter is very successful with the Eagles. Uh, he went to Washington for a couple years and didn't have, you know, much success. I don't know if that was the team, the the structure, the organization, whatever it was. But then he came back to Philadelphia and he jumps right back into, you know, playing at a Pro Bowl level. So um, I think that's a big, big part of when you're looking at success of players is, is this system conducive for them to be successful? The coaching, um, you know, the player's ability, are you maximizing their ability? So it's a combination of a lot of different things. But I know during my time, that was very important that, you know, one of those things is get the right people on the bus. So I felt like we always had the right guys on the bus. There was a nice mix of veteran guys with some young energy. Um, so I, I think it was just a pretty good mix. It's it. I, th- I kind of agree with you, though. It's so weird that, you know, in this era of football, we try to force guys to fit the system rather than the system to fort the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Eagles do struggle with that, to be honest with you. Uh, I know that they were really lacking in the pass rush last year, especially with the Brandon Graham injury. Uh, but they were so scared to not give up the deep ball that they didn't care if you're completing your five to ten yard passes. That's why there were so many quarterbacks that were so efficient against the Eagles last year passing the ball is because they gave away everything uh, between the hashes. They didn't care about the 20. They wanted just to protect the 20 plus yards. And, you know, the quarterbacks were clean. Their jerseys were completely clean the rest of the game Uh, that I did find that to be a problem. And I think it's not just the Eagles. It's is league wide. You see so many guys that are even if they just get drafted, uh, coaches are trying to fit circles into square holes instead of, you know, adapting their system to the player's strengths. And that's what Jim Johnson did so well. That's why I think Eagles fans struggle so hard with defensive coordinators. Like, I, I don't know if you have followed the team as, as, uh, as much as you have since leaving, but you know it seems like ever since Jim Johnson passed, the Eagles fans want the defensive coordinator fired after every season. There's yeah. always something like that. Yes. You know? Yeah, no, the Eagles are a tough crowd to begin with. We all know that. So, yeah, but you look at – Philadelphia to city. It's kind of those one of those hard work and blue collar cities. They want to see the defense being physical, stopping the run, the guys flying around with a lot of excitement on defense, picking off passes, deflecting passes. I mean, yeah, the games change some. Well, I say a lot from the physical standpoint. You think about it, the things that you can or cannot do in a secondary. I think that's a big part of, you know, how you draft and how you assemble a team guys that can cover without, you know, holding or grabbing or getting past interference calls. And then also guys that can stay on the field by not getting fined. So it's a lot, it's a lot of moving parts, but um, no, I definitely think there, there needs to be, you know, an uptick or upswing in what they have there as far as productivity from that one. I think if you look at secondary play across the NFL, the teams that have a really good secondary uh, because it's becoming more of a passing league, those are going to be pretty good defenses. So 
I know Eagles were in the middle of the pack. They made some improvements last year, but um, when you see those big jumps, you're going to see it in the performance in the secondary. How does how much does it matter to have a number? I mean, you again with during the Eagles, the Eagles had Troy, Bobby, Al, and then they went to Lito, Roderick, and Sheldon. So there was always cohesionness, and there was always talent at all three of those corner positions. How important is that to the safety position to have those positions locked down? I think it's very important. Also, as communication is important too, having the same guy consistently. So I knew how Al, Al Harris is going to play something uh, versus how Troy Vince is going to play it. So the communication, the kind of like the, I guess that, what do you call it? Nonverbal communication. You just kind of know it, body language, hand signals, all those different things of working together for a longer period of time. I mean, Dawkins had his own hand signals with with Bobby and and Troy and same thing when I would come in, I would have my different hand signals or nod of, you know, hey, I'm going to take this. If he releases outside, go ahead and it'll free you up to go somewhere else. So it's um, it's important. And I think you got to understand how all those guys play. You got to have some continuity in the secondary. Uh, it starts in the mini camps. It starts, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's not a week to week thing. This stuff starts during the uh, post draft camp all the way to the you know, OTAs, then all the way up to training camp where you're building that kind of cohesion and understanding of what I should know. I should know that Al Harris is pretty aggressive. And if that guy gives him a double move, then I'll just wait. I shouldn't drive it, right? I should sit back because there's a chance he'll get beat on the double move and I need to be back. So uh, Troy Vincent was probably a little bit more strategic, right? He would, he would maybe drive it early in the game uh, to see and then sit back on and knowing that they're going to hit him with a double move later. Uh, Bobby was kind of right in the middle. He wasn't as aggressive, uh, but he was very strategic. He was longer. You know, he he pushed guys outside. He was able to to reroute them a little bit better. So a lot of different things that you have to learn about the guy that you're playing with. And I think it helps when you transition into the game of knowing, you know, where you need to be and where the receiver is going to be and how the corner is going to play it. So the safeties enter in the room. I'm I'm talking through your eyes right now. Mm-hmm. You're entering the room. How do you make like again, you were six round pick weighed by the Bears, picked up by the Eagles, trying to make mm-hmm. that Eagles team. Uh there's gonna be guys like Marcus Epps is climbing up the ladder. Like I said, Clay Kayvon Wallace gonna climb up the ladder. Mm-hmm. The Eagles are gonna bring in some guys this offseason, they're gonna need to climb up the ladder. How does a safety come in and say, Hey, there's so many things you can contribute from special teams? Uh, tackling against the run, like playing the nickel. How does a safety come in and view or become a contributor to this team? Like, how do you attack it? I think it starts with um, the mental part. Everybody's in the NFL because physically they can run, they can jump, they can tackle, they can do a lot of things physically, but it's the mental part. I felt like that was the transition for me is when I figured out that if I know every single thing for both the strong safety, free safety, nickel, dime, corner, all those positions, the better opportunity I can get on the field. That's the better chance I can play. Um, injuries happen, fatigue happens, um, suspensions happen, all that stuff happens. So you just gotta be ready for your opportunity. Um, I think what I did is going into my second year, uh, my mindset was I need to learn every single thing at both safety positions, the nickel position, uh, and also the dime position to give myself the best chance to get on the field. So if I'm a young guy coming into the league right now, um, not kicking special teams to the side at the same time 
as well. So playing special teams, contributing on special teams, but also digging into the playbook, knowing exactly what you're supposed to do. One of the things that was pretty interesting that I um, that I learned from and I still kind of use today with the guys that I coach is grading every single practice. Um, we got actual grades for every single practice from Steve Spagnola. Um, the grading scale was 1.0, meaning, you know, kind of an NFL guy. 2.0 is a starter. 3.0 is a pro bowler. And 4.0, you, you practice like a Hall of Famer. So that was every single day. So I think that's the biggest thing is practice and teaching consistency. Um, we got written up for you know mental mistakes, physical mistakes. Those two things are different. A physical mistake is maybe you just lined up two yards outside of where you're supposed to. Mental mistake is you blew the coverage or you blew the check. Um, we're supposed to check into something when we see a certain formation. You know, all of a sudden that's a mental mistake. So mm-hmm. eliminating the mental and physical mistakes, get all those things out, um, you know, during OTAs, during training camp, so that when you're hitting the field for game one or, or, or first game of the preseason, this thing should be, it should be working pretty good at, at that point. They just don't make coaching like that anymore. I mean, I'm sure Steve Agnola is doing that stuff with the Chiefs. I'm not trying to take it away from what he's doing with the Chiefs. I'm sure he's doing something similar to that effect. But man, they just don't make coaching like that anymore. It's just, it's great hearing all this, you know, stuff how it went back then because I wish it would go that way now. It's just, there's too much extra stuff that goes into the game now, like the analytics and all that extra uh, stuff that it, not enough hours in a day. So I understand how, yeah. from a coach's standpoint, the evolution of the game as well. Uh, one last thing that I just want to discuss with you is you look at Tyron Matthew, great safety in the NFL. He's a free agent. He's been a free agent for a while. Uh, the rumors are it's because the offers aren't what he's expecting them to be um, on the free agency market because he, he deserves to be paid like one of the top safeties. I think what teams are worried about is once you hit that 29, getting into the 30 ages of being a safety, they don't really want to pay you anymore, it seems like. They've, they feel like you're going to lose that speed. Is that... There is there a method to that madness? Because ever since Brian Dawkins left the Broncos, I've had a vendetta, I feel like, against Joe Banner. <laughs> because when he went to Denver, he didn't miss a beat. He didn't right. miss any games. He was still performing at the same level that we expected him to when he was with Philadelphia. Uh, and, and now you're looking at, like I said earlier, you're looking at the same thing with Malcolm Jenkins. No, he's not the same player he was before, but he's still a consistent contributor and team captain to that defense and a really integral part of that Saints defense. The Eagles are missing it ever since. Is I know we're going back into the devaluation uh, uh, conversation, but looking at a guy like Tyron Matthew, the rumor is he's losing his speed, and that's why and that's what he needs the most. He plays with a lot of range. Uh, is there merit to that, or is it just a myth? No, I think there's a merit. I mean, just think about it. I think the peak of an athlete, I think, in the NFL, I probably felt the best around 24, 25, right, physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go to college, 18 years old, 18, 19, depends what you are. depends if you're redshirt or not. You're coming out 22, 23. You kind of get a feel for what your body is doing physically. You're getting a little bit stronger, probably around 24, 25, 26. You know, that's where guys feel their best. So, yeah, to say he's losing a step, I mean, probably any guy who's been in the NFL for five, six, seven years is going to lose a step, let alone a guy who's been there for eight, nine, ten years. They're going to lose a step. That's just a part of the game. But um, I know that was one of the biggest things about Brian Dawkins is, 
did he lose a step? And then when you re-sign a guy to a long-term deal, what's going to be the value that you get from him for those four to five years? Or is it really just a one-year deal and you're hoping you can get the best you can out of it for one or two years to shore up a secondary and you're making a run? I mean, that's the tough part where we're in the um, Tyron Matthews situation. I don't know. It depends on what you're asking him to do. I mean, he's, show, he's, he's shown what he's able to do over the last few years or, I mean, lots of years. He's made He's been a pro bowler. Uh, I think injuries start coming into play physically. Uh, he's not that big of a guy. And then also, what type of money is he asking for? You know what I mean? To be, to be the highest paid safety in the NFL or to be in the top five or top ten, you know, all those things got to be taken into consideration uh, when a team goes out and they look at, do we sign a guy like him? Everyone knows he can play. Everyone knows what he can do on a field. You've seen all the highlights. But it's how much money are you going to put in that position that's already, we already discussed, is already devalued. How many, how many good years are you going to get out of him, right? Does he fit in your system? So, I mean, those are the questions that you have to ask, and, and that's just for any organization is going to look at that and, and evaluate. Um, do I pay him for the next three years at a premium, or do I develop a younger guy in the draft, a second-round draft pick, a fourth-round draft pick, or even a free agent? So it's kind of it's a catch-22 because, you know, he's a veteran guy that you know will come in and, going to be professional is going to handle this business but at the end of the day the nfl is a business so they're looking at him as a as you know it could be pretty expensive to bring him in and it, and it, and it is it going to be worth it in the long run because i mean a lot of eagles fans want to see him in philadelphia i think he would be a good fit for that defense uh i because you know i think the best thing about and you you can attest to this the best thing about the eagles is the philosophy back then when you were coming into the league with them is they brought in talent for the safety position, but they already had talent in place. So they let that yeah. talent groom and develop. And I think, especially the safety, that's a huge position you want to develop and not throw them out to the wolves right away. So I think, you know, Tyron would be a great stopgap. But again, clearly with him not being signed at this current date, his market's not what he expected it to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not adjusting at all to what he wants it to be. Uh, so probably, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he waits till after the draft to sign and he's not going to get a favorable, maybe for the salary, but not a long-term contract. Uh, I think that is what the NFL fears, is they don't think a safety at his age and his rate, especially the way that he plays the position, can last a three-year contract right. at mega money. And I, mm -hmm. I, I understand that. I mean, you look at the deals right now, two-thirds. I mean, well, some of the deals are fully guaranteed now. So yeah. do you want to go fully guaranteed and get a guy that you might play maybe 40, 50, 60% of the snaps? I don't know what the number is. He could play 100% of the snaps, but are you getting the value that you're putting out or are you wasting time where you could be grooming one of your young guys to take over to be the next time on Matthew? So it's a, like I said, it's a catch 22. You got to know what you have in-house, physically how they stack up. What are you getting out of them? Did you see development last year? Are you anticipating giving them more reps, um, bringing in some other guys maybe that can play special teams that can um, – maybe take some of the pressure off those guys right now, because once you become a starter in the NFL, it's going to be hard to do both. You're going to need, you're going to need some guys to come in and replace you on special teams as well. So um, when you sign a guy like Tyron Matthews, he's not running down on kickoff. He's not running down on punt. He's there to play safety and that's it. So you got to see if you're ready for that. If you're, if your young guys are, are ready to step up or a veteran guy that you already have in house, 
can he give you the same productivity for maybe a fraction of the price? So, uh, I mean, two, it's still a business. It is a business. Two questions for me real quick that since we're on a co-host level now, I just want to personally <laughs> ask you and want to hear your opinion on. Number one, because I think everybody else is, wants to know it too is listening. When when Now we're going to go back in time to what I was just speaking of. When the Eagles mm -hmm. did, you know, Joe Banner decided, Brian Dawkins, your better days are done. Go ahead and go to free agency, and he headed to Denver. What were your thoughts then? Were you like, they're crazy? Or were you thinking you this know what's, uh You know what? I, I, I don't know why. I kind of had a feeling. I actually, um, I don't know if you recall, back in 2009 or 2010, I went back. I did a coaching internship in Philly. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was unique. I was on the other side. So now I'm coaching Brian Dawkins, who, you know, I was just playing with, uh, doing the coaching internship. And um, Sean McDermott was still making his way up. He was coaching the right. secondary. Um, you can see a, a couple different things as we're having meetings that, you know, maybe in the, in the near future, they're going to move away from him. Um, you know, there was concern that, yeah, I mean, you looked, I mean, Dawkins played, what, 16 years, 17 years? Yeah. He played I mean, fun. you start thinking at some point his body's going to break down. At some point, there's no way he can come back with the same energy. So I think it's just – it's hard for for NFL teams and GMs and owners to say that, man, this guy gave us so much last year. I'm signing off knowing that he's going to do it again another year. So I think it's just the fear of there's no way he can sustain that level of play another year or another two years. And you're looking at things on a year to year basis. And you probably said at this point, we've probably got the most out of him that we can. And, you know, they're probably thinking for the next few years, it was going to be, yeah, he's going to have some really good years, but they probably thought that he was going to tell off and, and, and basically become like a backup and more of a veteran leader, kind of a locker room guy, but he still continued to play at a high level. So that's part of the, you know, I guess that's part of the business that, that everyone understands is sometimes your timing is not the same as the team. So right. uh, they might feel you lost a step and, and, but another team might feel like you're perfect for them in their system. And then I always was confused by this. The, it was weird how Michael Lewis's Eagles tenure ended. Um, I didn't see it coming. Didn't see him getting benched for Sean Considine at all. Um, you, I mean, watching him grow into the player he blossomed into to how the situation ended with his play and then getting benched Sean Considine. And he went to the 49ers himself. And like you were saying earlier, guys went to different systems and they failed. He kind of did too. I mean, he had, I think he had one or two good years with the 49ers, mm -hmm. but it tailed off with them as well. But uh, that was probably like my biggest childhood Eagles fan question mark is what the hell happened to Michael Lewis? Because I loved him. Yeah, I mean, Mike came in as what second round draft pick. Yeah, um, he kind of waited his turn, um, and then played at a Pro Bowl level. Him and Dolph back there together played at a Pro Bowl level. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know what happened. That was it was a mystery to me. I thought Mike was doing well, um, and then he came, and then yeah, like the Constantine he came in, he played well, but it wasn't. I couldn't put my finger finger on something that he wasn't doing that he wasn't giving him at that point. So, you know, that's one of those maybe behind the scenes that they're working on a, a deal and then they probably couldn't come to a decision. Uh, so they knew that maybe he'll be leaving via free agency at some point. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. But a lot of times it's it's bigger than what we see on the surface. So 
Uh, I'm not sure what the concern was. Like I said, he played at a high level, um, yeah, Pro Bowl player. I mean, perennial playoff team. So um, there's always something. We, we'll never know the, the true story, but uh, we can only speculate that. I'm thinking maybe behind the scenes there was maybe some contract issues going on there that, um, you know, they're thinking maybe they can't sign him long term. So let's move on, you know, sooner than we anticipated. We're going to have to reach out to him sometime and get him on the pod and yeah. ask about it. That'd be a great little discussion. Like, well, what the <laughs> hell happened here? Because, you know, it always was assumed Dawkins would pass the torch to Michael Lewis. Like at the end of the day, no matter what, and then just out of nowhere, Sean Con- they play Sean Considine. I mean, I I didn't think Sean Considine was that good. I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I not I, nowhere close to what Michael Lewis was uh, when Michael Lewis was on his A game. So it just it felt weird. It felt weird. I didn't understand it at all. So I wanted to ask you real quick while I was on my mind. Uh, we'll have to get him on sometime. We'll have to discuss yeah, that topic good. for sure. <laughs> Maybe he has something he can he can tell us to give us a little bit more insight. Yeah, I definitely need the inside of that situation. I think a lot of Eagles fans back from the early 2000s are wondering as well. But this is going to do it for us real quick. We just wanted to discuss the safety position as a whole for the Eagles because it is their, in my opinion, their weakest group uh, upon, along the roster right now. Who better to give us insight on that than the former safety for the Eagles, Rashard Cook. Rashard, thank you so much for that information, that insight. And, you know, it's always great to reminisce about this Jim Johnson era. I love it. I feel like I'm a kid again watching the Eagles growing up and remembering all those great times because uh, they haven't had secondaries quite like that ever since. Yeah, not a problem. So I enjoyed it. All right, all right guys. We'll see you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.